unlike King James onlyism. Thou art. Okay, good morning. Uh, let me just get my. Sorry about the awkward radio silence. I had a. I had to take care of business. Yes. Uh, let's see. I need this. Okay. Don't need that nor that, so I'm going to just put those right here. Okay, let's get this document out. It is our bulletin. And I've only mentioned it just a couple of times. And so we're going to actually really look at this in the bulletin. It is the prayer challenge. It's to the right and down half on the page. It's the prayer challenge to ask God to use you to lead one person to Christ this year. Yes, Rudy. I think can I add one more thing to that? Yes. And when you do that, one more thing. Go forth in the day with expectancy, looking for that opportunity. Well, we can all go home now. <laughs> I'm just kidding we're not I didn't do all this just to but right we should pray first not last you know I keep hearing this song on the country radio because it's the only station that comes in clear out in my workshop and it's uh, by a guy named Jelly Roll I only pray when I haven't got a prayer and who am I to expect the Savior to do me a favor when I haven't been there. Something to that effect. That it, He's a scoundrel. And he only prays when he hasn't got a prayer. And I can relate to that. That is how I'm naturally built. Is to go to prayer as the last refuge as a scoundrel. Instead of as our first resort. The first place we go would be to prayer. So... Uh, Ask God and then go out with expectancy. And we have been told to go out. We have been ordered. Now, Jesus doesn't make requests. He doesn't beg. He does not. He doesn't do that. He, uh, he commands. So... Uh, Let's go to Matthew chapter 28 and, and find out where Jesus does command us. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18, 19, and 20. This is known as the Great Commission. Now, context... Jesus had been crucified. He had been buried. And then he rose again on the third day. And this is what he told the 11 disciples, the 11 apostles. And Jesus came up and spoke to them. Wait, let me just back up. Let me back up one verse. Let's go to verse 17. And when they saw him, him being Jesus, they worshipped him. 
but some were doubtful. Okay, just a little, a little point I want to make here. Jesus is worthy of worship. And Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. So this all authority has been given to him by whom? By God the Father. He has all authority, not just partial, not just some. He's not just a small g God. He's not one who tries, nor is he one who changes his mind. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. The very next thing he says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, I and, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now we have been told by the one who has died and rose again, who is worthy as our, of our worship, whose name is Jesus, to go. We've been commanded. This isn't a polite request. He's not begging. Go. So, we go. We pray first, and we pray with expectations. Now, here's where we... Uh, are preparing for the go. You know, why do we have church? Why do we meet here? Why do we do this? Why do we have church? If we turn to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 15, we come to church to meet and to fellowship. Sometimes we eat to remember the sacrifice that Jesus made with the communion, with the bread, and with the wine, with the fruit of the vine. To worship. To worship Jesus because he is worthy of our worship. He has all authority. To glorify God, to enjoy God, and to learn. We do. We have church for a reason. It is not just like a social club. There is, there is things that we do here is to worship in spirit and in truth because the Father is desiring. He's looking for those. He's drawing those to worship Him in spirit and in truth. And so we shall do so. So let's touch on Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. And He gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists, and some as pastors, and some as teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain a unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature, stature, that belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, and by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But, verse 15, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head even Christ. Okay. So, 
So we have apostles. Where we read in uh, Matthew 28, it was 11 apostles. These are the apostles. That is in the narrow sense of the meaning of the word. Words have meaning. Is it not? What does it mean to you? What do these words mean? And that's where we extract the meaning, meaning not from our own internal injection into the word what we want it to mean. An apostle is an eyewitness of the resurrection of Jesus. But the word also has another meaning. It means, in a broader sense, it means Christian teachers in the New Testament. It means sent ones. For example, it would be like missionaries, the ones who are sent out. But I think to claim the title of an apostle is a very big pair of shoes to have filled. But the word does mean those who are sent to teach about Jesus. So when I see on the, on the Facebook videos, Apostle, what's her name? And Apostle, Mr. I have a hard time with that. I'm going to say, no, unless you are an eyewitness of the resurrected Jesus, have seen him, have put your hands in, in the marks in his side and in his wrists and in his feet, Unless you've seen that, don't call yourself an apostle. That's a big pair of shoes. But nevertheless, the word does have a meaning of one who is sent. But uh, we do have eyewitness accounts to the resurrection of Jesus. And where do we find them? In the scripture. This is one of those things that I keep coming back to is according to scriptures. They're eyewitnesses. They don't follow cleverly devised tales. Okay, so apostles. I'm going to just say that if somebody is claiming to be an apostle, I don't believe it. Also, he says he gave some prophets. In Ephesians chapter 4, some apostles and some as prophets. Now, I do believe that there are prophets. We read about them in the Old Testament. We've got Isaiah and Jeremiah. We've got, we've got uh, Ezekiel. They wrote scripture. But we also have, in the New Testament sense, well, the, uh, the Old Testament prophets, they declare God's word. They prophesy. They speak of things which are to come. And they declare God's word. They write scripture. So if somebody is claiming to be a New Testament prophet, that's another very big pair of shoes to fill. But there are those who prophesy. In the New Testament, we have examples of, of, of several different prophets, those who prophesy. But they don't have the same kind of calling and social responsibility as, say, Samuel. So... He did call prophets, and there are those who do prophesy. Uh, in the New Testament, we have prophets that declare God's word. They prophesy, they teach. There's a slight difference between the Old Testament prophets and the New Testament prophets. And there are, I have seen people who do prophesy. I've also seen on the YouTube videos, prophet, what's her name? Or prophet, what's his name? 
and prophets that go talk about, they talk about, well, Donald Trump, he's going he's gonna to be uh, president for another four years. And they speak that in Jesus' name. They prophesy. They prophesy falsely. Do we want to go down this rabbit hole? No? No. Yes, no, no. I'm getting conflicting information from one person. I didn't put this in the Berean scriptures, but we do have a standard, a chalk line in our toolkits of how to determine a false prophet. And it's Deuteronomy 13. And it's Deuteronomy 18. The exact address, I can't remember, but it's there. Go hunt. I'm not going to chew your food for you. And it says that you will not fear this prophet. You will not follow this prophet. You will not pay attention to this prophet. If he preaches another God, who of you have not known, or if he prophesies and it doesn't happen. Because God does not make these little oopsies while he was only speaking as a man. He is not a man that he should lie. He's not the son of a man. He change his mind. If he says it, he's going to do it. He's going to make it happen. He's going to go, whoa. He's not going to say, whoa, I, I didn't see that happen. I didn't see that coming. And we do see um, a kind of a theme in this Ephesians passage about building, about work. And so this is kind of a um, construction process to building the body of Christ. And these are some going to be some tools in your toolbox. Let's see. Evangelist. It's the one who preaches the gospel, the one who brings the good news. It's the one who goes out and speaks. There's a lot of overlap between the prophet and the apostles and the evangelist. We have apostles who are evangelists who prophesied. There's some overlap there. If y'all can remember from statistics and, and, and logic, you have a Venn diagram, the overlapping circles, and this includes this, but not that. There's some overlap here with prophets, apostles, and evangelists. But they are a preacher of the gospel in the New Testament sense. If we look at the context, they were sent. And they included more than just the 12 apostles, the 11. They were those who went out to preach. And pastors, in uh, Ephesians 4, it, talk, it goes through this list. He gave some apostles and prophets and evangelists and some pastors. Now, the literal word for pastor means shepherd. That's what the word means. In Spanish, in Greek, a pastor is a shepherd. What's a shepherd do? He herds sheep. So, Isaiah 53, it says that we're like sheep. So now we've discovered a metaphor that we are sheep, we are like sheep, we get lost. You ever been around sheep? They're dumb. I, I mean, and they do sheep things really well, just like our chickens do chickening really well, but, but if one goes off a cliff, we got a whole bunch following until you have enough wool there stacked up so that they quit dying. Where we are like sheep. We go astray. We go our own way. In Isaiah 53, we are compared to sheep. And the shepherd, 
He's our pastor. <coughs> he herds us. He carries that crook thing. We're starting. Gives us a tug, pulls us back, straightens us out. A whack, right? Right? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Pastor means shepherd. One who herds sheep and we like sheep. We are like sheep. There's teachers. A teacher, uh, one who teaches. It's pretty simple. Words do have meaning. It's not one who interprets or, or decides, what does the text mean to you? That is not teaching. What do these words mean? What does the author of the text, of what the information we're reading, what is his intent? What is the meaning he wants us, that word, exegesis? I said, I get the two confused. We're trying to extract the meaning of a text. What does the author intend? Now, teachers can be men, they can be women, they can be uh, big people, they can be little people, they can, or they can teach little people. But there's also a natural order. Men teach men. Women are not to exercise authority over a man to teach. That's biblical, so we don't do that. Remember me mentioning earlier, according to Scripture. Now this is, indeed it is a misapplication of that phrase, but I'm going to apply it to teaching, to apostles, to prophets, to everything that I do is going to be according to Scripture. To the best of my ability. Now, I'm, I'm a clown and I'm a sheep, so... But hopefully we're no longer tossed around by every wind. We are to build up the body of Christ. Uh, gave some apostles. Let's see. For the equipping of the saints. Equipping, 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 equipment, tools. Machines possibly, but tools. Equipping of the saints for the work of service. So it's work and it's service. What service? To the building up the body of Christ. There's your goal, reaffirmed, right? We build the body and we're going to have tools. We've got equipment. We have information. We do this according to Scripture. Until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. And then it goes on a little bit later, and it says, speaking the truth in love. There it is. Speaking the truth in love. Now, good luck with that. We can speak the truth in love. But it will be interpreted by some hearers, not all. That's hate speech. By the hearer, that can be interpreted. So, we do speak the truth in love. We love our neighbor as ourselves. At least, we're commanded to, not required, requested to. We speak the truth in love, and how we do that, it depends on us, and it depends on the hearer. Now, there are those who go out on a street corner and shout, You are going to hell! I'm okay with that. 
It's true. And why they're doing that is because they love these people. They do not want to see them go into hell. I love you. You're going to hell. That's just a different way of doing it. Not everybody can do it. Not everybody is, is equipped to be confrontational or to be interpreted as being rude. But it is the truth that I love you. If you continue on this road, you will go to hell. So this is between you and God to uh, work this out, your personality, what you're comfortable doing. But I think if we were to grab somebody by the coat and shake them and say, you're going to hell, you might get your eyes dotted. Are you okay with that? Okay. If not, don't do it. Some people are equipped to go knock on somebody's doors. You okay with that? Okay. If not, okay. It goes back to our initial starting point is that we pray expectantly to God to give us opportunities. We're going to touch on that again, but we speak the truth in love, not in hate, not in anger. And hopefully, we can affirm to people that I do love you and I don't want to see you go to hell. We will touch on that a little bit more. I'm going to flip to uh, 1 Peter. You know, I didn't have a chance this morning to uh, put bookmarks in, so I'm finding it with you. So much easier on the, on, the, on the phone app. Yeah, I was cheating. 1 Peter 3.15. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. It's important. He is Lord. Always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you with gentleness and reverence. Always be ready. It could happen at Walmart. It could happen at the auto parts store. <clears throat> it could happen while you're mowing the lawn. Or it could happen in your own house. Again, we pray expectantly for these opportunities to speak the truth in love and to always make a defense for everyone who asks with gentleness and reverence. Again, I love you. I don't want to see you go to hell. Always be ready. Now, at the risk of stating the obvious, we are in Utah. That was a genuine look of surprise over there. That's entertaining for me. I wish I had my glasses on. I could see better. But we live in Utah. We have demographics here. We have people here. And I think the most, as far as, as, far as belief systems, I think the most thing that I come across in my travels is agnostic. That's my experience is what I see the most. And then I see a lot of LDS people. I am going to refer to them henceforth as Mormons. Not disrespectfully because I am speaking the truth in love. But no one will dictate to me the language that I get to use. On a side note, men are men. Women are women. Embryos are babies. About to be born. 
Speak the truth in love. Okay, so we have, we have uh, agnostic. Is my experience, I haven't looked at the statistics, but there's a lot of people who that, that they, they think that, well, you know, if, this, if all this has been, uh, that I've been taught is a bunch of garbage, then it's all garbage. So, so no Jesus, he's not worthy of worship. No God, the Bible is, is not the thing that we claim that it is, that, that there's, we'll all find out later. There's also atheists. There is no God. We know what the Bible says about the atheist. Um, it says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Psalm 14. And I think Psalm 50 something. It says it twice. Um, that's just a bad starting place. And I'm not going to give you techniques of arguing logic of of, of atheists, but we do have agnostics more common than atheists. We'll encounter Jehovah's Witnesses. We'll encounter Catholics and Hindus and Muslims and Wiccans. You got every flavor of the rainbow and every letter of the alphabet. You don't have to go very far. And some of these people may be in your own house. They may be in your own family. But the truth is, is if we were to take an LED, a lit push pin and put it on a map with every Bible-believing church in North America, it would be well lit. Montana, all over. The South, Tennessee, there would be lights lights, 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 and then they would start to get dimmer and dimmer and farther apart, less frequent as you come right to the crossroads of the West. And there would be less and less, and right where we are could be compared to a black hole for evangelical, Christian, Bible-believing Churches, excuse me, <coughs> for North America. So, brothers and sisters, beloved, we are in a foreign mission field. And we don't have to go very far. We could walk that far barefoot and be in a foreign mission. And most of these people... Not all, but most of them do believe in Jesus. But they believe in another Jesus. They believe a Jesus in a Jesus that uh, was not crucified, who did not die for our sins. Or they believe in a Jesus who was Michael the Archangel. I don't know where that comes from. I don't know. I honestly don't know. They believe in another Jesus that, 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 that is the spirit brother of Lucifer. Would you get that? And then they will turn around and say, oh, no, no, there's only one Jesus. Oh, yeah, I know a Jesus. And he likes to ride mountain bikes. He's not born in Bethlehem. Born somewhere else. I think he was born in Guanajuato. But yeah, he hasn't 
died for anybody's sins. It's not raised again from the dead. It's not from Bethlehem. It's not from the city of David, tribe of Judah. We could go through all these prophecies and go, nope, 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 nope. That not him, but his name is Jesus. I think he pronounces it himself, Jesus, but same name, different man. And I've been told, no, no, there's only one Jesus. There's only one Jesus. Well, let's turn back to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Spoiler alert. It's about another Jesus. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 4. For if one comes and preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or you receive a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you bear this beautifully. does speak of another Jesus. For example, the Muslims believe that um, they just dressed somebody up to look like Jesus, crucified him, but he didn't die. There are those that think, well, he wasn't dead. He was just mostly dead. And the cool of the tomb. And, and he, he revived himself. What are the odds... That somebody could be so near death that they could revive. That's a number. What are the odds that this same person could say, I'm going to be lifted up. I'm going to carry my cross. I'm going to be crucified as a, as a ransom for many. And on the third day, I will rise again. That's a number. Very small number. What happens when you multiply a very small number to a very small number? It gets smaller. So mathematically, that's a no-go. He prophesied that he would raise again on the third day, and he did. He did die. And he died for our sins. So it's another Jesus, and it did touch on uh, another gospel. Now let's talk about that. Now there is two belief systems in the world in my experience. It's zero or one, true or false, on or off. That your good works, the good things that you do, that your good works outweigh your bad works. That you have righteousness in and of yourself. <clears throat> and I don't care if it's Mormonism, if it's Hinduism, with the reincarnation and karma, with Catholicism. Well, you know, you can tap on, 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 on others' merits if you pay enough money. Or with your own good works, you can be saved. 
that allows you access to the grace that you can make a grace withdrawal from a bank account of others good works or a Jesus who is an example who is a good teacher yes example yes good teacher but there's more that he died for your sins that he took the penalty for your crimes against a holy righteous God <clears throat> so there's two belief systems in the world there's a works based there's merit based right the same thing where it's up to you you must be a good person and if you're a good person and not a bad person and if you're a better person than you are a worse person or you're better than the next guy or you're better than Hitler or whatever your standard of righteousness may be it depends on you and the true incomprehensible highly unlikely that a man would ever come up with this on his own design that I'm rotten and I'm saved by grace by another's good works now in having these conversations that you have been praying for God to give you and expectantly waiting whether they're in your own house or they're at Walmart it helps when you're having these conversations to define your terms what do you mean Saved. Because saved to one person might mean a different saved to another. Because you can be saved from drowning in a swimming pool, great analogy, to salvation, soiteriology. Define your terms. What does it mean to be saved? What does it mean? Grace. What do you mean? Sin. What do you mean transgression? Are they the same or are they different? Define your terms so that you are at least speaking to somebody with a common ground, a common meaning. Because somebody says, oh yeah, I believe we're saved, in gra saved by grace. That could mean you have to purchase it from a bank. That could mean that, that saved by grace means you shall be resurrected, but you may not be exalted. And there could be those who say, well, you know, I think my good works outweigh my bad works. Yeah, good luck with that. We will touch on that. But what do we preach? What do we preach? What do we talk about? What do we, what do we preach? We got good news and we got bad news, right? You ever seen any of the Ray Comfort videos? Go find some and go watch a couple. He's, he's got a technique that is very helpful. And uh, by all means, I'm not telling you exactly how to do things. We'll do a little bit of how not to. But for me, I think it's a good idea is to give them the bad news first. I got some good news and I got some bad news. Give them the bad news first. Now, depending on the context, depending on the individual, depending on to whom you are speaking, I think it's all right to scare the hell out of people. Got the bad news. We can go to the Ten Commandments found in Exodus chapter 20. No other gods before me. No idols. No blasphemy. Taking the Lord's name in vain. Observe the Sabbath. Honor your father and mother. Shall not murder. Shall not commit adultery. Shall not steal. Bear fault business. 
call witness to covet. We could do just a partial check. You ever told a lie? Yeah. What do they call somebody who tells lies? Liar. You ever take something that did not belong to you? Yeah. I don't care how small it was. It could be a pencil or a pen at the bank. I don't care. You take something that didn't belong to you, what do you call? So what do you call somebody who takes something? A stealer? Ah, thief. So, so far, I'm talking to a liar and a thief. You ever said OMG? You ever taken the Lord's name in vain, used the name of Jesus as a curse word? Yes. So you are now a lying, blaspheming thief. Oh, yeah, it gets worse. It gets worse. Romans 3.23, I don't want you to turn there, but I think we should all have this fairly familiar in the frontal parts of our brain lobes. Romans 3.23, all have sinned. Yeah, me, you, all. In this context, that word all has meaning. What does it mean, Rudy? Everyone. Everybody, all. Yeah, it's pretty clear. All have sinned. All have fallen short of the glory of God. <clears throat> but like I said, it, uh, it gets worse. It gets worse. Now, Jesus, who is worthy of worship in Matthew chapter 22... Matthew 22, 37 to 40. You know, context is important. Let's back up to 35. One of them, a lawyer, asked him, him being Jesus, a question, testing him. Teacher, remember me saying that uh, Jesus is a good teacher? Yes. But there's more. Teacher... Which is the great commandment of the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. He was asked. Jesus answered. The second is like it. Now he wasn't asked for the second greatest. The second that is like it you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now here's kind of the hinge pin. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. So Jesus did a, this condensation of 613 commandments, 10 commandments, 2. <coughs> Let's do a guilt check. Check. Do you love God with all your heart, might, mind, strength, substance of your being every day, all day, even when you sleep? Okay. No. I know I don't. I'm a miserable failure at that. We do not love God with all our heart, might, mind, and strength, and we do not love our neighbor as ourselves. 
can pretend to. We can want to. But you know, if my feet hurt, my boots come off. I'm not going next door and taking his boots off. So we're miserable failures. We all have sinned. And we, like sheep, have all gone astray. So miserable failure, guilty. Uh, let's flip to Romans chapter 6, 23. Are we there? There's kind of a good news and bad news thing going on. Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You got the bad news first, and the good news second. Wages. As opposed to gift. Words have meaning. It's not what does it mean to you. It has meaning. Wages. When I work 40 hours in the week, I'm paid a wage. Unless it's at the house. Then it's not. But it is what I've earned. It's owed to me. You owe me. Where is my money? You're owed for your wages. For the work that you do. That's what you have earned. Now, come around birthday time, there might be a gift. What did I do to earn that? <laughs> Born 57 years ago. I had no part in that. It had nothing to do with me. I was just, I was just the passenger. Now I'm just the spectator. Oh, here it comes again. My birthday. I didn't do this. It wasn't me. But people give me stuff on account of something I didn't do, that I had no part of. See, they see the difference between gift and wages. There's a meaning to these words. So the wages of sin is death. Ooh, death, death. That's another one of those things. Zero or one, on or off, yes or no. It's not like being a little bit pregnant or mostly dead. Like, uh, what is that old movie, uh, Princess Bride? He's mostly dead. You know what mostly dead is? Alive. So the wages of sin, what we have done, what we have earned because of what we are done, we are owed, is death. Yes? What does it mean to you? I don't care. It's what it means. Wages of sin is death. But, now the word but here does not negate everything that was said beforehand, but it provides a counterpoint. The gift of God is eternal life. So it's a gift. You didn't own it. Just like my birthday. Didn't have anything to do with it. Not anything to do with me. But I received it. There's a thing here. There's a preposition. Is that the right word? In Christ Jesus. 
the free gift. Oh, yeah, free gift. We've got we to gotta touch on free. You know what free means? You didn't earn it. Pretty, pretty straightforward here. The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, this Christ Jesus, this Jesus, this real Jesus spoken of in the Bible has got something to do with all of this. And he is worthy of worship. Now, there's not a week that goes by that you don't hear from me or from somebody else the gospel defined. And that's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And I know you've heard this before. You hear it again. First Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 1. Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel. He's calling his audience brothers, believers. Why are they believers? I make known unto you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received. He preached it, they received it, therefore they are believers. Which in which also you stand. So you are still in this place of being in the gospel by which you are saved. That's one of those terms that need to be defined in your discussions with people who may or may not be believers. We are saved by this good news. If you hold fast to the word which I preached to you unless you believed in vain. Do you believe this gospel that I have preached to you, he's saying? This good news? For I declared to you as of first importance what I also received. Now, Paul is writing this letter. He has received the gospel. He has shared the gospel, this good news that he has received. He's preaching it. And here he defines it that Christ... The Messiah, the anointed one, the one we call Jesus, of whom we read in the Bible. Jesus died for our sins, according to Scripture. Now, I've been touching on that and touching on that according to Scripture, according to Scripture. To be realistic, according to Scripture, what did that mean? What did Paul mean at this time? Was he claiming that this first letter that he wrote to the Corinthians was scripture? That they could compare it to itself? No, the scripture that he was comparing it to, the, the, uh, the phrase according to scripture, would have been the entirety of the Jewish scripture. That's what they had. That's what he used in Hebrew. Use that to define the gospel, that Jesus died for your sins according to Scripture. And that he was buried. Why'd they bury him? Because he was dead. Bingo. Not mostly dead. 
and that he was buried and that he was raised again on the third day according to scriptures. There's that phrase again. Everything we do, everything we teach, everything we find, everything we follow, everything we teach is according to scriptures. And then he appeared to Cephas and the twelve. There's eyewitnesses to this. I don't believe Jesus ever existed. And if he did, I don't believe he rose from the dead. May it never be. What would it take to convince you of the resurrection of Jesus? You want eyewitnesses counts? Yeah, yeah, that'd be helpful. Well, there it is. Oh, but that's the Bible. I'm not going to. What would it take for you to believe that Jesus rose from the dead? Well, maybe if you showed up to me, who do you think you are that Jesus should show up to you when I just had to read about it? And even in fact, if someone rose from the dead in their presence that they saw, they still would not believe. Because that belief is a gift from God. So the good news, the word good news means gospel. The word gospel means good news, that Jesus died for our sins. There's a, another word that has meaning. <clears throat> and I remember hearing that word for the first time. It's been quite a while ago. And the whole concept of the meaning of this word just kind of opened up a whole new way of thinking. The word is propitiation. And it does not appear in this text, but it appears elsewhere in that text. The word propitiation means to satisfy God's wrath. To appease the wrath of God, to remove it completely. Which is a good, good thing. Jesus died for your sins, for my sins, for your sins, and potentially the sins of the people you're speaking to. He buried, he rose again on the third day. Now, if he was just crucified and then died and buried, what makes this man, Jesus, any different than any other scoundrel who was crucified at that period and point in time? Just what people say about him. We've got nothing to back it up. We've got nothing. You've got nothing. If Jesus had not risen from the dead, then our faith is absolutely useless and in vain. We've got nothing. So if somebody were to... Uh, It went away. It's gone. But if so, I think where I was going with that is if somebody were to produce the bones of Jesus, verifiably so, then that would be our undoing. Just well go be Hindus, Buddhists, Buddhists, Muslims. If Jesus didn't raise from the dead, he could. He would not have backed up the statements that he made. The prophecies that he made. People just don't rise from the dead. So that backs up the statements that he made. That backs up the claims he made that he and the Father are one. That he is from the Father. 
He's not a spirit baby of the Father. He is the Son of God because He comes from the Father. There was eyewitnesses to all this. And not one has ever stepped up within the lifetime of the other authors of, the, of, of these documents, these eyewitness accounts. Not a one of them said, no, I was there, it never happened. These eyewitnesses who are called apostles that wrote down their accounts of what they saw, what they did, what they tasted, what they heard from his mouth, they wrote it down. Eyewitness accounts. And it was in the lifetime of other eyewitness accounts. And they, most of them died a violent death maintaining that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the Christ, the anointed one, the promised one. He is that prophet spoken of in Deuteronomy 18. And that he died for our sins and was buried and rose again on the third day. According to scripture and according to their testimony. Eyewitness accounts. Don't discount that. About to turn the wrong page. Let's turn this page. According to scripture. All kinds of poke marks on that with my pen. This is the gospel defined. So I've actually sat right there with where Rudy is, speaking with a man right to my left and behind him. He says, Well, we all know, you know just as well as I do that there's more to it than this. Oh, exactly. He denied scripture. That there is another gospel that we may be saved. Consider where we are. That we may be saved by obedience to laws and ordinances of the gospel. Did we find any evidence of laws and ordinances where the gospel was defined in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 1, 2, 3, 4. It's a hard no. Laws. Now this is not a new problem. This is not a new problem for, for, for Christians to have people come up and say, well, you, no, you've got to do something. You've got to be circumcised. That was what the book of Galatians was, was, was about. Now, what did Paul say about that? Oh, yeah, why don't you just finish the job? Cut it off. If righteousness comes through the work of the law, then Christ died for nothing. He died in vain. Shall we go to Galatians? And find out what Paul says about another gospel, a gospel of good works, a gospel that you must earn grace. <coughs> Galatians chapter 1. Oh yeah, I remember reading this for the first time when my eyes were being opened. And I was shocked. 
Galatians chapter 1, he starts out with this introduction. I'm not going to read it. But he gets all the pleasant trees out of the way. His greetings. Starting verse 6. There's a tone change. I know I've spoken about this before. He gets his pleasantries out of, the, out of the way, so he starts out with the good news. You can do that. And he goes to the bad news. I am amazed that you are so quickly discerning him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel. Tone change. Which is really not another. It's not a gospel. It's not another gospel. There is no other gospel. Only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. So we have the gospel of Christ and everything else is a distortion. You know what it means to distort? To twist, to mangle, to turn your guitar amplifier up too loud. That's distort. But even, verse 8, but even though we, and Paul speaks of we, I do believe he's, he's meaning that the preachers, the apostles, the evangelists, the sent ones, the missionaries, that even though we, or an angel, there's another word that might need to be defined, an angel could be a supernatural being from heaven preaching a gospel, yes, or an angel could also mean you know, I should have looked this up. There's a meaning for the word. Help me out here, Rudy. Messenger. So we have that Venn diagram. Supernatural, not supernatural. A messenger, an angel. Now, there are supernatural messengers, and there are people with feet that walk with a message, or they ride the horse or, or whatever. But even though we or an angel or a messenger... I'm adding to scripture, forgive me there, should preach to you a gospel contrary to that which we have preached to you, let him be accursed. Uh-oh. Let's read on. As I've said before, so I see again now. If any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to that which you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the favor with men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. I think the important thing here that we can get from that text is that there is a gospel and that is affirmed by Paul speaking of another gospel which is not the gospel that it can be preached by men it can be preached by messengers it can be wrongly interpreted wrongly represented by even angels and what happens to those who preach another gospel accursed I said it before I say it again accursed he reaffirmed it so we know what the gospel is anything that adds to it 
Do you have to be circumcised? Accursed. Do you have to pay tithing? Accursed. Do you have to put on clothes of a certain type? Accursed. Do you have to obey laws? Accursed. Do you have to participate in ordinances? Accursed. Do you have to promise to be disemboweled or have your throat cut? Accursed. Do you have to promise to do time on a squirrel cage? May it never be. Accursed. And the gospel is, let me just reaffirm it, Jesus died for your sins, was buried, rose again on the third day. So that's another... I'm sorry? Yes, according to scriptures. Okay, so... I'm trying to do everything according to scripture. That may be a misapplication of that text, but I'm going with it. That I'm trying to do everything according to scripture. Now we know about another gospel. We know about another Jesus. We know that we need to define our terms. We know that we need to pray expectantly. I could use my phone to be a lot quicker. But I already did that once. I need paper in my life. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 2. You probably, some of you know where I'm going with this. Because it's according to Scripture. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 2, let's go start at verse 8. For by grace you have been saved. There's two terms that need to be defined when speaking to someone. Grace, saved. Define those terms. Through faith, define that term. I think that's a pretty common... No? You can have faith in your faith. It is in whom you have your faith. You have been saved by grace. You have been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. We've hit gift. We've defined gift. Do we really need to define God? You may. Because we find in his word, what is it? Numbers 23, 19, I'm not a man that I should lie. Well, the son of a man, that should change my mind. Different God, different Jesus, different gospel. We got work to do. We are in a foreign place in a dark black. It didn't take much but a dim flicker to be a bright light in a dark place, right? We could be pretty dim. We could be pretty flicker to be bright where we are. Okay, so by grace you have been saved, define grace, saved, through faith, define faith, and not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Verse 9, not as a result of works that one should boast. We'll pause right there. And um, once you've defined grace, this is what I do believe the scripture means, grace. 
grace, God's unmerited favor. You didn't do this. You didn't earn this. You have these gifts. It's getting what you do not deserve. Wait, is that mercy? Another one of those things that needs to be defined. Saved. What does it mean to be saved? Reincarnation? Nickels in your shoes? I don't know. Define it. Find out for yourself. I'm not going to chew your food for you. To be saved. Saved from what? From whom? From where? Saved from what? We are saved from the consequences of our sins. We are saved from the wrath of God. We are saved from the consequences of our sinful nature. Because God is holy. 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 He is just and that frightens me. And he is merciful and I hang on to that with both hands, both sets of toes and my teeth. Through faith. Now that's our part that we do, right? That was a hard no. God grants that we believe that faith is a gift from God, that he draws us. He grants us faith. It's all not of ourselves. Isn't that what we just read in Ephesians? Not works. What would be works? Helping a little old lady across the street? Sure. Paying tithing? Sure, those are good works. Being kind to people to love your neighbor as yourself? Sure. Good luck with that. How about miserable failure over and over again? It's not of ourselves. It's not internal. It is foreign. It is alien. It is not from within. We can't. We don't. And Isaiah says that even our good works are filthy rags. Yeah. That. It is external, it is alien, it is not of ourselves. We don't merit it, we don't earn it, we don't deserve it. <clears throat> not from rituals, not from obedience. Let's go back to Ephesians 2. Because it continues. We just read Ephesians 2, 8, 9. Now let's go to 10. We are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Okay, now let's... Uh, do I dare say deconstruct this verse? Because that's kind of a trend now. No, let's just find out what it means. We are His workmanship. His being Jesus. We being... We, believers, because Paul is writing a letter to Ephesian believers. We, he includes himself in this we-ness. We are his workmanship. His workmanship being Jesus. Workmanship, that means he made us. He's the builder, the maker of things. Comma, created. Okay, that reaffirms workmanship Created in Christ Jesus. In who? In the real Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible, the Jesus that died for our sins, was buried, rose again on the third day. According to the scriptures, we are in him. Now that's another 
sermon. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. We are created for good works. Okay? And one of these good works we've been told by Jesus himself, all authority has been given to me. Now go. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We created by Christ Jesus to do these good works that he has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now we're in a dark place. We're kind of walking in the dark and we're just going to stumble into these divine appointments that we have prayed that God would provide us with and that we are expectantly walking for these opportunities. We can go look for them. We can go try. We can go make efforts. But God ultimately does this. Not only does he grant that we believe, but he commands us to go. Let's go back to uh, 1 Corinthians. We were in 15. Now let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Let me spend just a little bit of time there. Chapter 1, verse 14, 15, 18, 18, 18. Yeah, let's start in verse 18. 1 Corinthians chapter 18. We got us there? Mostly yes? Little no? Mostly no. Mostly yes. That's a hard yes. Okay, for the way, the, the word of the cross to those who are perishing is foolishness. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever. I will set aside. So the cross is foolishness. You expect me to believe that some random Middle Eastern dude, I'm going to stop there. Yes. The preaching of the cross is foolishness. I haven't done this, but I have seen it happen where somebody is preaching the cross of Jesus Christ and go, well, that's foolishness. How do you respond to that? He's fulfilling scripture. It is foolishness. But to us, it's the power of God to salvation. Why? Because Jesus died for your sins on that cross. Well, not that one. But it's a horrible thing. Let's go forward to verse 23. What do we preach? We preach the gospel, the good news, the bad news. The sin, the wages, the gift. We preach Christ Jesus. We preach the cross. Uh, verse 23, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. But we preach Christ crucified. To Jews a stumbling block and to Gentiles foolishness. So what? So what if it's foolishness? So what if it's a stumbling block? We preach it. Why do we preach it? Because Jesus died for our sins. Was buried, 
rose again on the third day. Let's go to uh, uh, chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians, verse 2. Just over the page, to the right. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's what we preach. I don't want to embarrass anybody, but it's not matters of eschatology. That's absolutely useless information to an unbeliever. Yes, Jesus came. Yes, He is coming again. But until you believe that Jesus died for your sins and was buried and rose again on the third day, all they're doing is watching the news. To no benefit. That is where salvation lies. The gospel by which you are saved. We don't... don't, We don't... Talk about the location of Noah's Ark. I mean, that's fun, fascinating stuff. And these are debates that we can have with archaeologists and Turks and fellow Christians. That's entertainment. The Ark saved Noah. The Ark will not save you. The Ark of the Covenant, fascinating stuff, archaeological, historical but, but the fact that there are those who believe that, that, that the only reason that Jesus could save us is because the blood trickled down that cross and across the ground and down this little crack and buried in a cave was the Ark of the Covenant because the blood of Jesus is some magical potion. And the Ark of the Covenant required this magical potion to supernaturally release us from hell. There's too much magic going on there. Yes, there was the blood of Jesus, which was shed for our sins. As a propitiation, satisfying the wrath of God, but it had nothing mechanically to do, magically, chemically, physically to do with the location of the ark and the blood dripping on it. It was symbolic. The ark is symbolic of the altar that Jesus was murdered, sacrificed on. Not some... Did you know the Illuminati, the Mark of the Beast? You know, this is all fun stuff. It's entertaining. It's fascinating. We can scratch our heads and scratch our backsides and try to figure out what it means. But unless you believe that Jesus died for your sins, that he was buried, that he rose again on the third day, just will go home. That is the power of God to salvation. We don't talk about the Mark of the Beast, the climate change. Can we talk about abortion? Yes. How so? Because we can take the conversation around to abortion is murder. The solution to murder is in Jesus crucified, died for your sins. There is peace in that. Can we talk about the social issues? We can talk about men being men. We can talk about women being women. We can talk about all the confusion contained in the conversation therein. Yes, point it back to Jesus The man Christ Jesus died for your sins. Was buried and rose again on the third day according to scripture. Take it to the cross. In your own homes. In Walmart. At Napa. On the sidewalk. I had a man preach Christ crucified to me. Over a beer in a bar. Always. Be prepared to give a defense for the hope that lies within you.
We don't care if there's sycamore trees or, or cedar trees that are growing. Jesus, the way, the truth, the life. We can talk about social issues, abortion. We take them to the gospel. Politics, politics, yes. We live in a fallen world. We see scoundrels. We see lies. Who's the father of lies? And I have said this numerous times, numerous times that with all this madness, with all this craziness, I take a tremendous amount of peace, peace that I cannot describe because of the fact that Jesus is my king. As rotten as I am, I know me. Sometimes when I'm alone with my thoughts, I scare me. I know me. But the fact that Jesus is king, I take comfort in that. That he's got this. There's not anything happening. He's not going to go, whoa, I didn't see that coming. Oh, those pesky Democrats. Nothing surprises him. Nothing happens without his ordination. And our works, our works, they're not ours, are they? He's prepared these works. For us to walk into, we could say stumble into, blunder into. They're really, they're His. Our works, walk in them. Be prepared to share the good news, the gospel. To whom? Yes. Go back to that command right at the beginning. To whom? Did you not hear me correctly? All men, women, people, groups, all nations. Except for those guys. No. All people groups. You know, and, and, and sometimes you will have a common place to depart from in the conversation that a lot of people believe in Jesus. It's a different Jesus. But at least... It's, it's a something. It's a starting place. Always be prepared. Now, I got a note here. Let's not go there. I'll go there, but sometimes I have a hard time finding this one. It's in Jude. I forget which chapter. Go to Revelations back one. Revelation of who? Jesus. Uh-oh, he's coming again. He is. Jude, verse 3. Oh, he's still not there. Beloved, while I was making effort, every effort to write you about your common salvation, I felt it necessary to write to you, appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which is once for all delivered to the saints. Contend earnestly. What does the word contend mean? It's like a contest. To strive for it, to struggle for it, to contend earnestly. It's not a wrestling match out in the streets. You're going to get dirty if you do that. That's not what it's talking about. 
But I've heard other people say, and I, there was a point in my life when I was a lost, wretched fool that the spirit of contention is of the devil. You smile, you know where I'm talking. You know what I'm talking about. It's not. You argue. You make logical, historically accurate statements. You argue. You contend earnestly, sharing the truth in love, which is foolishness to those that are perishing. But us, that's by which we are saved. Contend earnestly for the faith. We've been commanded to do that. To speak the truth in love now, there is an urgency to this. There is an urgency to this, and this is a, a painful thing. This is a hurtful thing, and it is a, to those who are perishing, it is a hateful thing. There is an urgency. There is a hell. There are people who will go to this hell where they were, will suffer forever and ever. And it's Jesus who saves them out of this hell. And we have to contend earnestly and reaffirm the fact that Jesus, there is no other way, no other name in heaven and earth, no ways, no how, nowhere, no other name by which we must be saved, only by Jesus. Only by the sacrifice that he made as a propitiation to appease the wrath of a holy, righteous God. No other way is the way, the truth, the life. You are so intolerant. Well, it's not me. I didn't write these words. Your problem's not with me. It's with the Bible. That's what the Bible says. And as much as it would make me feel so much better that everybody goes to heaven, then I wouldn't have to be out here talking to you. No. There is a hill. People go there. There are unsaved people that die every day. There are unexpected surprise deaths of people not knowing who Jesus is or knowing Jesus, the guy that rides mountain bikes, or Jesus, the guy that, that, that is the spirit brother of Lucifer, which is a whole nother worm can. Or Jesus, who did not die for your sins, and they just they took Judas and made him look like Jesus, because, you know, all those guys looked the same, and crucified him in his spot, but Jesus never died for your sins, that he never rose again, or that Jesus never existed. <coughs> we need to know who Jesus is. I got a note here for Romans chapter 10 that we have beautiful feet that we go out and preach the gospel. This Romans chapter 10, I'm not going to go there. There's a quote from Isaiah. Beautiful feet to those who bring the good news. We have beautiful feet when we walk in those good works prepared beforehand for us to walk in. We got those beautiful feet. I looked at... I'm not seeing it, but I believe it, that we have been commanded, we've been told to go, to do this, to bring this good news that Jesus died for your sins, that was buried, rose again on the third day according to scripture. But this is not for everybody. 
we have our part to do in it, and it's with these big, ugly feet to just go to preach the gospel. But God has, I don't want to say job because that's a little bit too familiar, a little bit too flippant, but this is what God does. Let's go to John chapter 6. We've got a couple of them. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Eyewitness. And there's a lot of good meat here. This is uh, just reaffirming, the, according to scriptures, this salvation, what it means to be saved. John chapter 6, verse 29. Jesus answered them. Lost my place already. 6, 29. This is the work of God that you believe in him who he has sent. The work of God. You. Does it matter to whom he is speaking? I don't think so. He's speaking to Israelites. I haven't really gone in the backstory too much to find out exactly who the audience is. But this is the work of God that you, this collective big you, not the pencil narrow you, believe in him who he has sent. Him who he has sent. The Father has sent Jesus. That's the him. And let's just go to uh, verse 37. Just fast forward. Same page. All the Father gives me shall come to me. And the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. So the Father has given the believers, the ones who he has granted to believe, to the Son. We are God's gift to Jesus. I'm, I don't see it. But apparently he does. He sees it with better eyes than I. All the Father gives me shall come to me. Now the word shall. All the Father gives to me shall. Has that got the same semantic domain as maybe, as might, as may? No, that's a hard no. Shall is imperative. Is, is. Instead of not might is. Okay, does that make sense? Shall. Not may, not might. Shall come to me. So all the Father, so we have been given to the Father, by the Father to the Son. We shall, we are, we will, and we will continue to do so. Shall come to me. And the one who comes to me, he will certainly not Okay, this has a similar semantic domain as shall. Certainly not cast out. So we in. It's a yes, it's a one, it's a hard yes. Let's see. Let's go to verse 39. And this is the will of him who has sent me. Me being Jesus. Him, Jesus, Father, God Almighty, that all that he has given me, affirming that we are God's gift to Jesus, he will lose 
nothing, but raise it up at the last day. This is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him shall... Oh, wait. Who, everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him may have eternal life, and that I myself will raise him up on the last day. You believe? He will be raised up. I think the next note I have here is John chapter 6, verse 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up in the last day. So we cannot come to God unless... We cannot come to Jesus unless God draws us. That's the work of God that we believe. He causes us to believe. He grants that we believe. He's given us to the Son. He draws us. Now, I haven't confirmed this, but the word draw in this context might be a little bit less or a little bit more intense than say lifting a rope with a bucket on the end out of a well with the hopes of having some water. It's more like the rope is around your neck and you're getting drugged. You come. Just like Jesus says, you go. He's not asking. It's not a polite request. He's not wringing his hands behind the curtain because you haven't found him yet. We cannot come to Jesus unless the Father draws us. Oh, back to 1 Corinthians again. And this just reaffirms what I'm saying. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. Did we already do that one? We haven't. Okay. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, he says, But a uh, natural man does not, I had to turn the page to get to the not, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. We've read about the foolishness before. And he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised or discerned. But he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no man. I remember the language in one of the other, one of the other versions of the Bible that they cannot, nor can they. It is impossible for someone who has not been drawn by the Father to the Son, who has not been given to the Son by the Father, can understand, can appraise, can comprehend these things. I've had people tell me, well, yeah, I tried reading the Bible, and all it just does is go, wah, 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 wah. They cannot. This is not for everybody. This is for those whom God has caused to believe. And he will make for these opportunities for you to preach the gospel. John chapter 3, 18 I'm, I'm, I'm speeding up right here. They are condemned already. That is offensive. That is a hard truth. <coughs> there are people who are not drawn by God 
who are not given to Jesus by the Father, who cannot understand these things, have no comprehension that this is all foolishness. How do we know? <laughs> you don't. You don't. You could have somebody preach the gospel to you in a bar. Or even beforehand, before that, you could read a chick tract on a park bench. Or even before that, you could have somebody tell me, you need to read the Bible, and you need to read the Bible with new eyes. Never mind what the chapter headings and the footnotes say. Just read. I don't care if it's King James. I don't care what first. Just read that Bible. That man begged. Jesus didn't. Now, these are all personal experiences. Now, I'm not saying this is where we get our theology from a chick track on a park bench. But I said the sinner's prayer. And, well, I ought to be covered either LDS or born again because, you know, what? I didn't. What must I do? Yeah. Can we say God drew me? Yes, he did indeed. John chapter 3, 18, they are condemned already. Uh, i got a passage here, Ephesians 2, 1 through 5. I can't remember what it says. So we better go there. going to be chapter 2, verse 1 through 5. I got to 8 through 10. I got that memorized. But the 1 through 5. And you. Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. And you were dead. Oh, that's not very good news. In your trespasses and sins. We're dead. I was dead. They is dead in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working the sons of disobedience. Verse 3, among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, including the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as God, or even as the rest. I was reading ahead when I shouldn't. Verse 4, but God, being rich in mercy. There's another one of those words that we need to define when we're having these conversations. Mercy, not getting what we do deserve. Because of his great love with which he loved us. He loved us, not us loved him. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Yeah. We're going to make mistakes. 
we could possibly have an opportunity and blow it? Are we going to use incorrect words in trying to describe the identity of Jesus? Yes. Are we going to maybe misapply the word grace or mercy? Are we going to make mistakes? Yeah. So what? It's not us to us, up to us to define the meanings of the words. They already have meanings. We will make mistakes. But we can go by God's grace. But we need to be prepared to always give a response for the hope that we have within us. And we need to go by God's grace. We need to walk in His good works. We're going to make mistakes. Yes. And there's some answers to questions that we need to memorize. I want you to all say this with me. I don't know. I can find out. There we go. Then go, not knowing, and go find out. So that you can always give a response. Because I guarantee there's more things I don't know than there is things I do. For example, I don't know where in the world you get the information that the one who is named Jesus Christ was Michael the Archangel. I don't know where you get that. And I'm not going to go look, actually. But I don't know is an acceptable answer. And you know what else? It demonstrates a little bit of humility. Oh, if I don't know it, it can't be known. Hey, shut up, go home. Now, spent a lot of time here preaching to the choir, preaching to a bunch of born-again Christians who believe that Jesus, what? Died for your sins, buried, rose again on the third day, according to Scripture. We all believe this, and if we don't, now this is to whom I am speaking. Ignore all of this. Unless you are born again. In John chapter 3, Jesus says, You must be born again. Well, I born to me again. Uh, I, I did this. It's a hard no. You don't do this. I should have put in the Berean scripture the entirety of John chapter 3. Don't be amazed that I said you must be born again. If you were, unless you are born again, you can't even see. You can't get there from here. You can't get there. You can't see it. Unless you were born again. And how are we born again? I don't have an answer. We are not born again. We are made new. We are born again. It's external. It is alien. It is foreign to us. Just like we had absolutely nothing to do with us being born to the first time. We weren't up there looking at a menu and I, okay, I want one of these and one of those. And hold to that. And okay, but a little bit more pepper. We weren't up there filling out menu, checking boxes of what we wanted. We had nothing to do with us being born just in the same way, in the same way we have nothing to do with us being born again, but we must be born again. That is the work of God. 
He grants that we believe. He draws us. He gives us to the Son. The Son will never lose us. We are His because of the great love that He had for us. And we love Him because He first loved us. So we are saved from the wrath of God. There is a hell. People do go to hell. They, are not, they don't just turn up to, into smoke and disappear. I hear guys on the radio. They say, well, I don't believe in a hell as like it commonly believed. The reason that it's commonly believed because it's very clear in Scripture that there is a hell and the suffering goes on forever. And these are people in your own home, in your own family, next door to you, these are people across the street. These are people that we talk to. We don't have very far to go to find people who don't believe in Jesus or who believe in another Jesus and who believe in another gospel. <coughs> they could be Mormons. They could be Jehovah Witnesses. They could be Muslim, Sikh, Hindu. Either yes or no. In or out. Jesus, not Jesus. Gospel, not gospel. This is binary here. Yes, no, zero, one, in, out. It's not this squishy gray area in between. Well, maybe. I think my God would never. Oh, yeah, he would. Well, I, that just your interpretation. No, that's what the text says. Be prepared. And like I said, it's not for everybody because it's like the smell of death to those that are perishing. You stink. Not only that, the people would perceive this as hate. I love you. I don't want to use, I don't want to see you go to hell. I want you to have this joy that I have, this comfort in the fact that Jesus is my king. I want you to have what I have. Why do I have it? Because he gave it to me. I didn't do this. It's not mine. And the memory verse must be born again. That way you are forgiven for your sins. Implications of that we've gone into. You are not his. You have been given to Jesus by the Father. And he says, you're owned by him. And he says, he has all authority. Now you, go. Not a polite request. It's not begging. Go. Make disciples. Disciples, followers of Jesus. Just like he did with us. He drew us. He redeemed us. He purchased us. He bought us. Now he's telling us to go. And unless you have been born again, all this is just nothing. But here you are. You believe this. You have that living water that's coming out of you. That's a metaphor. Water that gives life. So we give this message. We, uh, we seek Jesus and we are found by him. It wasn't him that was lost. It's us. We're born again. Well, how'd you do that? It wasn't me.
We are saved. Saved from what? Saved from the wrath of God. We're not saved from ourselves or for the consequences of our poor decisions. Because we all make poor decisions. Because the wages of sin is death. We have that living waters and it comes out of us. You've experienced this, some of you, I know you have, that you just can't stop talking about it. Right? I'm looking at all of you. You can't not. How's that for a double negative? No, it ain't. We have beautiful feet spoken of in, in uh, uh, Romans chapter 10. I struggle with that. I do. But we go, we walk in his good works. It's in Ephesians 2.10 walk in his good works he will prepare these we pray father give us opportunities to speak the word of your son the gospel the good news so that you can save these people from hell in Christ Jesus to make disciples because I, I pray weekly that I pray for our enemies pray for those who want to kill us because we have the audacity, audacity to say that there is no other way to heaven, not Buddha, not Joseph Smith, not Muhammad, not the pink elephant, not the cow, not the 30 million other ones, but Jesus, how hateful is that? Pretty hateful. And you will be considered the enemy. You will have trouble. Jesus says they hate you. They hated me first. You're not going to change that. That's not your job. Not your responsibility. You can't do this with clever argument, with logical descriptors or, or persistence or, or, or competency in the scriptures. It's not your job. What's your job? Go. And unless you are born again, don't. And we preach that Jesus died for our sins. Check. Was buried. Check. And he rose again on the third day. That there is an authoritative source of information where we find this. It is the scriptures, it is the Bible, the Old Testament, the New Testament, the entirety of it is about Jesus. Oh, and be afraid, there is a hell. There is a hell, and there will be people that we know who thought that they could be saved by establishing their own righteousness, by obedience to laws and ordinances. Or that they'll be born again as a cat and have it easy. Reincarnated karma. Or that there is no God. Or they believed the lie. Did God really say? Nuh-uh. You shall be as gods. People we know, people we love. We don't determine who is and who is not. That's God's 
business. He is in the business of saving people. But I do want to reaffirm that there is a sense of urgency that people die and go to hell. And there is a sense of urgency that people die and go right into the presence of our Lord Jesus and dwell with Him in paradise that very day. Not because of any righteousness of their own. But because of the salvific work that Jesus did on the cross, in His body, on the tree, canceling that list of handwritten ordinances against us. He canceled it. He nailed it to the cross. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He did this. But he tells us to go. So that's what we're going to do. And we're going to preach Christ crucified. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your love, your grace, and your mercy. Thank you for drawing us. We don't understand at all that you gave us to Jesus. How that could be any gift of value, I know me, but you know better. Father, we pray that you would prepare good works for us to walk in. That you would provide us with divine appointments. That you would put your words in our mouths. That we could preach Christ crucified. Father, we pray that you would draw whom you will. We know you have many people in this city. Father, I don't understand why anybody would reject this, but they do. Father, we pray for eyes to see, ears to see, hear, hearts to understand. We pray for those beautiful feet to be given to us and go before us, make a way. Provide us with opportunities. We see you work. We see how you do this. We see you bring people one at a time. You've done it for me and many others. Pray that you would continue to do this so that you would be glorified in Jesus' name, the only name by which we must be saved. Amen.